What's up everyone? It is Physio Friday. Today we have our resident physiotherapist Phil White here with us. We're going to be answering your physio questions, but we're also going to be talking about ramp loading. What does peak week mean? What does deload week mean? And we're going to be revealing our flash sale. Hey everyone, in case you haven't met, my name's Rad Burmeister. I'm joined today by my brother Yanni Burmeister. We're the co-founders of Unity Gym and the UMS, Unify Movement System, where we turn driven people into superhumans. And of course, today we have our resident physiotherapist, Phil White, here with us. And um, founder of Switched On Physio. Founder of Switched On and, Physio. And uh, all things nice. And, and probably, sugar and spice. Probably the most attractive man in the room for those of you yeah, especially on my, the podcast. Uh, my last minute um, hair drying attempt after yeah. cycling into the gym today. So if I've got a bit of a Donald Trump style um, thing going on there, yeah, yeah. apologies. Also <laughs> my own like hair cutting uh, and, and, and just for those of you who are not listening on the podcast and who are catching the live Unity V stream, Phil isn't actually tiny. He's not a yeah, tiny human. The camera um, has a bit of a fisheye effect. <laughs> yeah, that looks hilarious. <laughs> and and he, I, was in the <laughs> I just <laughs> looked at it. Oh, man, yeah, Phil. Yeah, I'm not, hey, uh, Phil. I'm, Hello. I'm yeah. serving in a gym with, like, you know, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Pretty muscly, but it's he's not, it to the he's, next level. He's so. not that small, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting I'm up. Sure I'm the and, but, hey, on that note, for all of you um, listening on the podcast and watching live and who's going to be watching the replay on our YouTube channel, this, I can confidently say, is the last time we're going to be sitting around a coffee table uh with a hobbit uh, table. with the yeah a hobbit table with these with these um shotgun mics and and that sort of thing because we're all of be the, on the parts are almost finished out in the gym and we're going to be putting it all together over the weekend and uh it's i just announced good. yeah it is it's it's going to be pretty amazing yeah. and for those of you listening to the podcast you can't actually see that i'm i'm drinking a cocachino oh, yeah there we go. Um, <laughs> so i went i ordered a decaf listen to macadamia. the coffee that he ordered he I actually ordered a asked decaf someone. macadamia latte and i got back and these punks have drawn a cock <laughs> on the top of my coffee i don't know if you can see that there uh, and on the side so good st good times yeah um yeah you can't, you can't see, it, anyway. see it it's um it was a beautiful so, piece of art it's a it's beautiful absolutely and it tastes delicious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh so we've gone there already we've uh listen today before we get into this it is friday and as you all know every friday we release a flash sale one of our amazing programs at a hugely discounted price Exclu to exclusively to this exclusively group. to the ums movement mastermind to our tribe to those of you that listen to the podcast or that watch this stuff so if you are ready to jump in and try one of our programs, this weekend we have the Press to Handstand Masterclass uh, bundle, which means you get the Press to Handstand Masterclass program and a couple of other programs. You'll have to look in there to see what it is. It's about 90% discount. It is a huge discount. And we've been talking this week all week about what it takes to learn a skill. This is an amazing skill that so many people want to be able to do in this group. And I can tell you right now that this program is a guaranteed path to get there. Yanni and I followed this path. We learned how to do it. And it's going to get and you I there, guys. I can tell you right so now, if you try and do a pressed handstand without figuring out the uh, pathway to do it, it doesn't oh, work. <laughs> if anyone <laughs> remembers the uh, end of last year where um, Rad was walking me through how to do gymnastics move, the pressed handstand was a personal favorite for me looking like an absolute uh, idiot because it was just so hard. So, um, yeah, isn't definitely it, isn't you it need just? to be figuring out each step because it's like your body just 
impossible. Now, so. quickly, before we go further, um, for those of you on the podcast, you can't, this is not very relevant to you, but we do have people watching. We stream these live. We record these live. And we do have 18 people watching live at the moment. So please, if you're watching live, I would love you to chime in with a comment. Let us know where you're watching from, who you are, so we can see who we've got on the live stream. And get any questions in that you've got in relation to injury management, pain management, performance, um, how to progress or regress movement based on issues that you may be trying to solve in your own body. Because we do have Phil here answering those questions uh, to, to help us answer those questions. And um, uh, I can see that a few people have commented already, which is fantastic. We're going to get to those comments shortly. And yeah, the, uh, w what we also want to do is talk about uh, a drum that we beat regularly, which is our pain management drum. Uh, sorry, our, our load management drum. The other drum. Yep. It's the other drum. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, and how that sort of ties in, how how it all comes together, how the picture comes together with deload week, with peak week, and all that sort of thing, and really why we do it. So why don't we first, uh, very quickly before we um, go further, give a brief explanation of load management and why it's important, and, uh, and hear it from the man himself. It's uh, so nice to be asked a question in person, If for those uh, who have seen me kind of chime in at 3 p.m. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, sort of have, like try to figure my way out how to, how to monologue. It's just so nice to have a person ask me a thing that I can yeah. interact with, and it's, yeah, so uh, <laughs> thanks for it. <laughs> those guys have been so supportive at, at my 3 p.m. attempts, and I'm promising to, yeah, they're getting, they're getting better. Um, yeah, so with load management, why it's so important, well, basically, like, I could pretty confidently say, like half the people who, oof, at least half the people who come in to see me as for physio appointments, um, it's they come in there because they've just tried to get into something too quickly or they've pushed themselves too hard, and usually they know it too. Like usually, you know, as you start to go through their history, they're like, oh yeah, you know, so I was kind of in a bit of a funk and then got motivated and then decided to just like dive right into just doing pull-ups every day. In. Like yeah. it's yeah. it's just human nature to. Uh, kind of get that sort of surge of motivation to really get into a thing and then just do it as much as you can because you start to feel that momentum, you start to feel that like that, that passion and you do get often like quite a big improvement early. But what happens is, as we've talked about so much before with, with tissue um, adaptation times, uh, like they play by their own rules and no amount of, you know, your motivation and, and forcing it can really, uh, you know, bypass that so if you start to really overload Damn. your structures i know it's, such a, <laughs> it's, it's such so frustrating yeah, especially for people like rad and i who <laughs> are like literally we make up a very high representation of the idiots who just like to go all in and <laughs> oh, push uh, ourselves uh, until it's we one of those things even if you know it like you still do it and i've, I've i found it really challenging because i'm as you know anyone who follows me knows i try out lots of new sports and i get really into them and, <laughs> and i pay the consequences and is that, is that it's a hard thing with human nature to get your head around that, but what you can do is try and prepare your, your structures for it. And I think the UMS does a really wonderful job of doing that because it's um, giving you that variability of exposure to different, um, uh, different contraction types, different um, styles of loading. So what I mean by contraction types, you get um, often it's if you start um, trying to sprint, your muscles haven't been used to like um, uh, lengthening under tension. And so I really like that the UMS, you know, gives you like a mixture of uh, concentric training, eccentric training. So if you went out and tried something new, then you're a bit more resilient to it. Same thing with energy systems. Uh, so if we're with the way that the Unity program changes over the uh, months, you go from phases of, you know, low rep range where you're, um, you know, really trying to be uh, like looking at strength and, and power, and w there's also phases that go into more endurance where you're using, um, you know, you kind of go past that 
stage of um, just strength and power into more muscular endurance. So you're getting that variability, which is making you more resilient. And then the last thing is with the um, combination of strength training and, and the cardio circuits at the end, that's also using, yeah, developing your, um, you know, uh, there's anaerobic systems and aerobic systems in terms of um, what powers your body. So your um, sugar systems is generally your power sprint stuff, and then your um, uh, fat and oxidization system is your uh, cardio endurance. So it's, it's all these systems need to be exposed to stimulus to be ready for you know, stimulus. And I think that uh, what people often do is yeah, go from, uh, and each of these kind of systems have thresholds that you can handle before you start to injure yourself. Um, and yeah, I think the unity system is really good at, at developing all of those um, at once, but it does take uh, a gradual exposure, and that's why the programming is such that it is that we have deload weeks yep. and, and peak weeks. Something that I think um, I don't think we could repeat enough, um, uh, which I'd love you to just quickly remind our viewers and our listeners on the Sound of Movement podcast, uh, is the different times that it takes to condition and prepare and adapt different tissues to exercise. Yeah, so we've talked about how um, often you get a really satisfying strength gain um, when you first start doing strength training, and, and and so much of that is just your neurological system. So it's your brain figuring out how to access what you already have. Because if you haven't um, needed to use your uh, muscles in a strength sort of way before, your your brain kind of gets used to that and has like a bit of a limiter on how uh, much strength you'll access in your day to day. And and it's those uh, fight or flight situations where you can do extraordinary things and mothers pick up cars off babies, that kind of stuff, where we have the capability to do it, but we just don't access that system. We don't train our neurological system to um, to access that strength. So when you first start training, you might think like, oh, my muscles are getting bigger and stronger really quickly in that first six weeks, but really it's just um, your neurological system catching up. And then after that six weeks, your muscles start to actually get larger muscle fibers and um, you get hypertrophy. So that, that's for, for muscles that generally start to take about six weeks before you start to really see um, muscle size increase, but you get a, um, a big strength increase from just the um, neurological system. And then um, from there, for your, uh, your ligaments and your tendons, which we can kind of put together, ligaments, bone to bone, tendons, muscle to bone, um, they're generally, they don't have contractile fibers, they've just got the, um, they're kind of like, uh, yeah, non-contractile collagen is the um, structure that uh, keeps it all together, really strong, good at taking tensile load, um, but if you, you can still definitely overload them and you've got to um, expose, gradually expose them to load to strengthen them up. So that generally takes more like three months to really start to um, see changes and, and there's a much slower tick um, over then with muscles. So if you just really blast your strength training and, and your, your muscles are getting bigger and stronger and you're accessing larger motor units, you're uh, generating more force, you've got to respect the, the, the tendons which are actually attaching it to the bone um, because they won't be able to keep up if you really just try and ramp up too quickly. So yeah, of course. Just quickly, and sorry, before you dive in, one thing I'd like to get your opinion on, Rad and I supplement um, collagen. We have um, collagen protein uh -huh. uh, as our primary um, protein supplement. And I know that you can, I actually also take uh, uh, like a, a tablet that has um, collagen added to yeah. it. Is that, to your knowledge, I know you're not a nutritionist or a dietitian, um, is that something that people could do to help benefit the, the yeah, um, something that I'm, I'm, tendons and ligaments? I'm not uh, kind of aware of it enough to, to say confidently, and I think yeah. it'd, be, it'd be so good to get a nutrition, a dietitian I'm or working a nutrition on, I'm on working it. Yeah, on I think it'd be really good. Well, um, Aaron, uh, our friend Aaron, who isn't a nutritionist, but he's someone that has a hell of a lot of skin in the game, and he does a yeah. lot of research on this stuff, uh, and even Ben Pakulski, that's why they're both yeah. massive advocates of 
collagen because um, from their research, uh, it does help yeah. to strengthen. Yeah, and I think the, it, um, like you know, we, we, you need the building tissue. blocks to actually uh, you know build the thing. So yeah. if you can have collagen available, and and the way that the human diet has changed over the years from going from you know eating you know t uh, nose to tail, where you're getting a wide variety of parts of the animal, where you're getting cartilage and you're getting those kind of organ meats, where you get the uh, you collagen, get more collagen yeah. as part of that, whereas yeah. now we just eat like chicken breast and body. That's um, exactly like muscle why meat. collagen you don't protein get yeah, that is good. Collagen That's protein. exactly yeah. why. Yeah. So. so Aaron personally doesn't have collagen protein, but he eats nose to tail. Yeah. yeah. So and he has bone broth, bone broth yeah. all the time. All so so yeah. he's getting it naturally. Yeah. Whereas we're not doing that. Yeah. So, so the thing that I I just say is that like. It's it's often really tempting to be like oh I'll just like supplement my way out of this problem yeah, and that's the yeah, thing you, yeah, you, you can't yeah. like you've just got Look, to get your training structure right even the late yeah. Charles Poliquin when I um, sat in a classroom and heard him speak of supplements he used to say absolutely um, that nutrition comes first supplements come second mm. so you know if you get everything right with nutrition then you can take it to the next. Five percent by starting to supplement, or a little bit yeah. more. But, but he, you know, he used to say. I'd even argue, ever. like with this kind of issue with people getting um, overload uh, training issues, uh, you can't even nutrition your way out of yeah, it. Like, there's, yeah. it's going to give you a percentage, you know, uh, increase of resiliency, but the lion's share of what you know it's going to. Yeah safeguard you from injury is how you approach your training yeah, yeah. and how you um, structure yeah. your rest into that. Yeah, well, I that think, I think, sorry, I think the reason why that people say that is because like you just said, it's very easy to go the path of supplementation before diet. Yeah. And I think it's totally. really important that yeah. we reinforce that, you know, diet is paramount first, you mm. know, before you even think about supplementing. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, but if we talk a little bit about overload, uh, because that is, um, you know, what we're what we've worked to produce for these last three weeks so the you know the whole idea of the ums program where we do these mesocycles and we have a deload week for those of you that don't understand there's two states of training to consider what we're talking about here which is one is um, overreaching and one is overtraining. Overtraining is almost impossible to do for the average person it's um, usually reserved for athletes who are working way harder than even we are here and when you do go into a state of overtraining you cause serious damage a lot of people have to be hospitalized um, for it and it can have um, catastrophic effects to your body for months and months and months afterwards it's not something that you come yeah, out of yeah. very easily the crossfit has really brought rhabdomyolysis into yeah, the, yeah. the mainstream it was uh, yeah, things <laughs> like that yeah. yeah so whereas overreaching is a very different state and it is something that we actually strive for every mesocycle because overreaching is just when you get to the point where your everything in your body starts to become um fatigued and um i'm doing the parenthesis little um things here with my fingers for those of you in the podcast and in a state of what people might refer to as overtraining, but it's not really. Um, and what the idea is, is that we we gradually increase the intensity to we get to a point of overreaching in week three, where you might even actually feel like you're a little bit weaker, um, everything becomes harder, and then you do a deload week where you intentionally reduce the volume dramatically. What we do at the U in the UMS is we reduce the volume by 60%, so you go down to about 40% of the normal volume for a whole week. So you're still aiming for strength gains, but you're dramatically reducing the volume, and in that, week you go through something called supercompensation where your strength goes your body reacts to the stimulus and strengthens itself to be stronger than it was before and if you get it right you come out of deload week stronger than you went into it and this everything that we just spoke about about nutrition is absolutely critical to get right in that deload week because if you get all of the training right all you've actually done is sent 
uh, hormonal signals through the body to say, hey, let's go through a phase of adaptation. And the body says, yes, let's do that. Now give me what I need to create that adaptation. Looks in the bank and sees that the vaults are empty. And the vaults are <laughs> empty and yeah, what, what, are, you, yeah. what are you gonna give me? What are you gonna give me? Yeah. And I like, I like the analogy of the foreman that turns up to the building site and all the workers are there and says, build this building, but there's no bricks and mortar. Yeah. Yeah. And all the workers go, yes, let's build the building, but there's nothing yeah. there to build it with. And if you get the nutrition right, then that's put, putting uh, the bricks and the mortar down to the yeah. uh, to the worksite. Yeah. yeah, I think there's like there's obviously the um, the training stimulus needs to be there, the nutrition needs to be there for the building blocks. And the other thing that people often uh, kind of like, especially people who train really hard and have generally that kind of personality that's really to push them really hard, um, they often miss one of the biggest uh, parts of the the strength um, game, which is is recovery, and yeah. that's yeah. so key. And that's why I think it's so good that you guys have that deload week where you you know you're taking back that that stimulus because we with when you're increasing with your strength, you want it to just keep going up and up and up. But what it really looks like is this: like yeah. we've got to be, and that's why we've got yeah. those targeted overreach so you can um, you know get give yourself enough stimulus to um, to strengthen up. But you've you've then also got to follow it with um, that recovery. And um, there's a really interesting study. I, I've talked about it a few times on this show, I know, but um, it, with runners and looking at professional uh, runners versus elite runners versus um, <coughs> amateur runners, and um, basically the amateur runners, uh, sorry, the professional runners and the um, elite runners do the same amount of training time, but yep. the professionals are able to hit peak, higher peak intensities because for the rest of the day they can be, you know, loafing around, eating, mm. sleeping, chilling out by the beach, whereas um, the, um, the elite who have to go to work, look after their kids, don't get enough sleep, they're, they're waking up really early to train, like they're doing the same amount of training time, like the professionals aren't you know, doing that much wildly more training time, it's just that they but can't get those. their recovery is so Yeah, their recovery yeah. is so key, yeah. and so yeah. that's why I think it is so nice to, um, yeah, that as part of this program, you, you guys have that, you know, that overreach where you're getting that good high intensity, but then you bring it back and, mm. um, and it's yeah. so important to follow yeah. that. We've got a couple of really good questions that have come in, guys, that are, that are very much on topic. First of all, I'd like to answer Carmine Mitroni. Uh, he said, should I master the loaded stretching routine, all three components, which I still admittedly need a lot of work on, before I begin the mobility masterclass, or can I do them simultaneously without compromise or risking injury? Now, the reason why I jumped into this question first is because a lot of people don't realize um, that stretching and the mobility masterclass and the loaded um, uh, root stretching routine, it is stimulus. Uh, stretching is stimulus to the muscle and it's load and, um, and it must fall into this umbrella of we need to manage load. And yeah. so, you know, um, Phil and Rad will chime in here and, and give their opinion. But the first thing I'll say is, when we're when we're learning to manage load according uh, accordingly, it's very much up to the individual. Uh, it's, there's not a one size fits all answer because it comes. There's a lot of variables there, um, and the main one is how long you've been training for under these conditions. So how physically prepared is your body already for the types of stimulus yeah. that we're dealing your, your with? Training age is a term that we've used quite a bit before. Yeah, that's exactly that. right. So um, let maybe Rad um, jump in first because you've had a big part in designing the two programs, uh, loaded stretching and the mobility masterclass can and should they be done simultaneously? I would 100% master the loaded stretching routine first because that's the way that we designed the programs and the way that we designed the programs is the way that we learnt and, and the way that we learnt was that we always got to a point where we started to plateau and then look for the next thing so we designed the next program. So the 18 minute stretching routine came first. 
we got a great result from it, then we plateaued, and then we looked deeper into what's the next kind of thing that we can do that we haven't been doing yet, and that was heavily influenced by Phil, because Phil, at the time, like our programs had a lot of influence by Phil along the time, because he, you'd go away for six months, then you'd come back, and you'd see changes, yeah. and you'd comment on them and give us constructive yeah. criticism, and at the time, you said, I would never forget it, you said, man, I find it hard to, to be able to write a better program for the average person than what you've got. My only feedback would be, is that you're still doing static stretching yeah. in the warm-up. And that, and then you reminded me, which is stuff that I knew, but we yeah. just weren't implementing it. You yeah, reminded me why. a set of external eyes that's right. to look in from a different yeah. viewpoint. He reminded me why that wasn't the best way to do it. And that's, and that's what caused us to create the loaded stretching routine. So there was no static stretching in it. It was all about um, yeah. g getting the muscles under load and you know going through eccentric contractions and things like that. And we went through a massive level up uh, with our flexibility by doing that. And it prepared us because the Mobility Masterclass was created after that. And we'd gone through an adaptation from the loaded stretching routine and then we were looking for the next thing. So to go straight into the Mobility Masterclass, I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's just not the, what we did. Yeah. And it, it, you, you would have to be careful because the load in the Mobility Masterclass is far higher than the load in the loaded stretching because in the loaded stretching routine, there's no external yeah. load. It only uses your body weight for it, which is a much safer way to introduce loaded stretching. And the movements are amazing. Yeah. Though, Steve, what you're referring to, if anybody doesn't know what he's saying, should I master the three uh, components of it? There's a lower body component, an upper body component, and a spine component. That routine has the most in-depth explanation of all the spine mobility out of anything that we've got out yeah. there and it is phenomenal. Um, there's just a point on that, that you brought up that I really want to talk about with uh, what we were talking about just before which is that idea of plateauing yeah. um, and that with targeted overreaching that's a really great way for an experienced person who's had a lot of like a, an older training age to get past those plateaus because um, as I'm sure anyone who's trained in the gym for a while is experienced you kind of when you first start out you're like yeah I'm killing it and then suddenly it's like oh I can't yeah. go, keep going up by yeah. you know five kilos a week whatever week, in, in yeah. your lift <laughs> and, and a lot of that can be explained by that neurological adaptation that you get from training and that that's in initial strength increase that you get from training um, and so it's it's really I think an important thing to understand for people who are just starting out in the um, in the progressions program, and you guys talk about this before, where like if it's your first peak week, uh, you know, take it easy. Like just learn the moves, learn what it feels like to do this, because you're still going to get increases because you're still getting those um, you know those neurological adaptations. You're still getting just strength increases from getting better at the technique. Um, so like when we're talking about targeting overreaches, I just really wanted to um, make sure it's clear for people who are just starting out, like this is something that you've got to learn to do effectively and safely yeah. and it just take it easy for the first few as you guys have talked about before yeah. and then that it becomes a really powerful tool to break through those plateaus when you start to get those diminishing returns because you've sort of you know figured out how your neural yeah. stimulation uh, actually, works. I actually spoke about that at the start of this week by saying to people that uh, peak week doesn't mean you kill yourself. Yeah. It, peak week can mean as little as that you do one extra rep on every set. And, yeah. and that is enough to add volume over yeah. the whole, like one extra rep on every set over a whole week. There's a lot of volume that gets added in that yeah. one week. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a great point to now, make. Now quickly, we go to Aiden's? Before, no, 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 quickly, I want to do Chris Grant first because this is a real good one. And Love it's 
Dustin great for Phil. Yeah. Uh, but first, I want to just give a couple of shout outs. We've got a couple of new people on the stream and on the show this morning. Um, hello, Namala from Trinidad, uh, which is really cool to see you here. Um, everyone that's tuned in here, thank you very much, Ruth Hausman. Hi from the Blue Mountain. She's saying thank you for all the amazing programs. Uh, we got Clay on the show. Uh, not Brenda, uh, mm -hmm. watching from Indiana. Um, so quickly, um, I, I, I like Chris Grants because I think there's a lot of people here that can get some, something out of this question. He's saying during lockdown, he's been doing a running after the UMS daily workouts most days and now getting some shin splints deep in the soleus or medial side to where it hurts to walk if I go for a five plus mile uh, with pace best releases or stretches to proactively keep this from happening now my uh that's exactly what we've talked about exactly what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about you know yeah there's no stretching that you're going to do that's going to yeah. fix that. yeah look my first of all my opinion is that you're you know you're doing a lot of work in those f initial workouts you know these ums at home workouts are enough to fatigue even the best of us rad they has a me. serious workout from they that you know me, and so what you're doing is you're fatiguing a lot of areas of the body that need to be really supple and switched on when you go for a five mile run and especially like the Golgi tendon, there's a lot of plyometric work in these workouts. There's a lot of yeah. springing. You need the elasticity in the body and the joints. And um, to, to immediately follow that up with a big run is and like the, that is really intense load on the body. Yeah. You know? And the thing that, that um, stands out to me is that it sounds like you've started doing this since the lockdown. Like this wasn't something you've done before. You, you haven't been and you're saying... Uh, you're running most days after the workout, so like it's this is this classic story of you know of running, you man. usually are going to work and you might go to the gym and you know maybe you do a couple of runs like one or two runs a week maybe um, a lot of people in the you know who are now starting to run haven't done that before because it's just they're being forced to because they got, don't have access to gym so it's this big change in loading where suddenly you know your body's like not used to this and then you're, you're suddenly stressing it in this very different way um, that's going to overload things and and yeah. Uh, I've, I've talked about this a lot before, but you know, a lot of people want to just uh, stretch or release their way out of things, but the muscles are spasming, or you're getting um, uh, this 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 pain because of like a inadequacy in, in strength and, and resilience to this type of yeah exactly plyometric load. Um, like when you start using your tendons as springs, rather like it, it's a totally different stimulus that you're just not prepared for, and with shin splints as well. Like as um, when, when I was talking about with the different adaptation times for. Um, for structures before, uh, bones are absolutely need stimulus to um, respond, and it, it's impact force that uh, is the real thing that gives you um, increase in bone mineral density. But with an impact, some people get a bit freaked out by impact and think it's a bad thing, but it's so essential for bone growth. But like everything else, it needs to be graded exposure. If you suddenly go from like very little impact, maybe you do a few box jumps in the gym, to suddenly running, you know, five plus miles a day, which in you know. Um, Which is a lot. Like that's a, that's a, a, lot. Yeah. It's a good run. I mean, I, yeah. to give you give you an idea, guys, I've started running again for the first time since my knee reconstruction which happened in 2013, I believe. So a long time ago, yeah. the year that we opened the gym, it happened. Uh, seven years. And um, Jeez, and I haven't, years. yeah, I haven't <laughs> been running. I used to run a lot when I was competitively boxing, but I was 10, 11, 12 kilos lighter than I yeah. am now. So first time I've ever run at over 90, I'm currently sitting about 92 and a half kilos. Um, it's uh, it's been a real real adaptation for my body. So I've started by going for only a two point six kilometer run. That's like what one point 
two miles or something. Yeah, or, yeah, something it's like a that. very short run, you know, yeah. in comparison to what my brain says I could do. And I've started experiencing quite severe pain in my in, in parts of my body, you know. So meaning that I'm overloading that, that those parts of my body uh, uh, to the extent where Phil's going to take a look at it today after the stream. It's very important that we understand that what the thing that Phil said there that is the aha moment, uh, which he said very quickly, is that it has to be progressively loaded. You can't just start something and 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 dive up. You know, we call it the um, the issue intensity continuum, um, where we're sort of you know gauging everything from a zero to a ten and and going, in my opinion, f to a five mile run. And and, and Chris, hats off at pace. <laughs> hats off to you for uh, for the amount of effort that you're putting yeah. in. This is incredible. And this is exactly what we're talking about. We want to see we want to see people come out of this leveled up better than they they were when they went in but it's it's critical that we get load management right yeah. and in your let's let's be specific here then what i'd do chris if i was you um i wouldn't be looking at what releases or stretches can you do you need to reduce the load if it was me i'd immediately reduce how many times you go running down to once a week and i wouldn't even run for the first couple of weeks if you say that you're getting pain when you walk walk for the next couple of weeks just once or twice a week for a long walk and if that doesn't hurt then go to a l gentle run and increase it like that yeah i mean rad's a bit of a running hater here i, I understand people who like to uh, <laughs> to run and that's not going to be quite satisfying enough but what i'd say is that you know like at least have um to start off with probably you know 48 hours in between your runs so really you know probably no more than three in a, in a week um to start off with and just start less than you think start back at like one mile and like you're saying it's really at pace where it starts to hurt um yeah then if you're going if it's that pushing it really fast then you know maybe just bring it back a little bit uh bring back the distance a whole lot and and yeah, don't don't keep pushing through pain with this sort of shin stuff. It can really just blow out and yeah. become like a, quite a big issue. I had a, um, I, I got yeah. shin splints to the point where it it really ended my boxing for about a year um, because I pushed through it. I pushed so yeah. hard. We we did a period of training where we were training on um, concrete basketball courts, and when when I was yeah. c quite competitive, and we used to do just a, a million shuttle runs a week on this basketball court in our boxing attire so i had like the knee high sort of boot uh, the just the, sh the mid shin boots with you know zero cushioning or protection yeah. or anything sprinting up and down and i was the type of person that went all in on my training i was the probably the arguably the strongest or fittest in the group that we used to um box with and um i wanted to win everything i wanted to be the best i want and i was yeah. very competitive you know so i gave a thousand percent in every training session and there was no my, my coach, God bless him, was very old fashioned. Um, think of like Rocky's coach nice, in, in yep. Rocky, you know, he could, he pretty much talked like that too. I think Rad's met him once or twice. And um, there was no concept of overload and, yeah, and, yeah. and taper. And, <laughs> you know, it was just like, ah, no, do it 100%. Ah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, that, that was just, uh, yeah, and I blew my shins out so badly that you couldn't even touch them. I couldn't massage them. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. And it was really, really, it took me a long time to get over, you know. So I think yeah, that there needs to be... Saying he's, he's gone from doing two to three runs a week at three miles or so prior to lockdown to doing, yeah, the whole, uh, a significant amount more. So, yeah, I think probably try and bring it back to that baseline, how you, like what you were doing before, see how that feels, and then just try and think about, like, you know, you're, what you're doing, you're currently trying to do this and you're starting from here. How do you connect the dots? You, 
you know, run at that wall or do you take the stairs? Like yeah. You've just got to gradually ramp it up. And, and yeah, I, I wouldn't be doing it every single day, well, and especially like immediately after the Yeah, that's, what I, that's the thing that I was going to add. Just be, be really cautious about because it's a different type of load that you're giving your body now that you're doing it immediately after the UMS yeah. workout when everything's already fatigued and depleted. So maybe that could be the key element here. Like what I do is I do my workout in strength in the morning and then I go for a run in the evening. Yeah. So my body's had eight hours between that yeah. run to sort of recover. And I'm literally just sitting in my desk and stretching and doing some stuff like that. To answer your question, you know, um, massage balls, foam rolling, all that sort of stuff is really effective for the lower extremities like that around the calves, um, myofascial release, um, things like that will help, but nothing is going to solve the problem but lo better load management. It's just the, um, the lack of um, good load management there. Yeah. Let's um, answer Aiden's question. He got in first here. He's saying, hey guys, heading into deload week for phase two foundations. Well done. Always been curious of the split squat variations. Am I to assume that these are done using no weight? Are they meant to be more of a calf and hip flexor stretch? Um, the weight is always uh, about load management. It's not about it should be done with weight or it shouldn't be. It's about if doing a body weight split squat is too easy for you and you do it with good technique, then you add load to make it harder. So it's, it's all it is. I've seen many people in our gym who come who are new, who haven't done these types of movements before, have to deload and actually support their body weight to yeah, take body with, weight uh, off. With dowel rod. But to yeah. give you an example, man, I've worked up to doing 80 kilo split squats. Yeah. Uh, with a barbell on my back, you yeah. know, so. But in the foundations program, if you want weight, you just hold dumbbells in your hands. Um, and uh, are they meant to be more of a calf and hip flexor stretch? Uh, yes and no. They're meant to be, what they do is it's a unilateral way of developing a squat. The reason why it's called a split squat and not a lunge is because what goes on in the ankle, knee and hip in the front leg is exactly the same as what goes on in a squat. There's the same uh, level of flexion and extension that happens. Of, of course, the mechanism is a little bit different but it, it creates unilateral strength in the squat. But what it also does is it really allows you to push the flexibility by driving the knee forward and also by trying to keep the back knee off the ground, which does work on hip flexors and uh, calf flexibility. So it's a really, it's like a, you know, strengthening and stretching exercise, and it's yeah. a it's a really really good yeah, exercise, which is why we put it in there. Yeah. yeah, it's one of it's one of the best bang for your buck exercises out there by a long shot. Yeah. Um. So let's uh, move on to. Uh, we've said Carmichael's. So uh, we've said hi to Ruth. Um, Nirmala Suku is saying hi from Trinidad. Yeah, I've already Enjoy. read, I've okay, already awesome, read that. Awesome uh, let's just jump down to Maj, which well, is Nick Nicholas, May. Yep. yep. He's, uh, he's saying, I've got uh, a clicking knocking through my center line at the back when I do bicycle crunches. No pain, but weird and not so comfortable. And then he's got a little uh, addition to it down here. He says, well, Phil, have you got anything you want to say about that before we uh, go to the second the, part of it? Where's the addition? Well, that's all because the, the, no, the no, addition is something separate. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, clicking, um, knocking through the center yeah, line I think when he does often, bicycle crunches. I think often people get a bit freaked out by clicking, and and so often it's just not a, a big deal. Did but you hear the click that just happened? Yeah, in my exactly. Foot there. Like, I get clicks know, all the time. When you hear Yanni squat, it's like you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, like an orchestra. It's a off. symphony of <laughs> different things clicking and popping. Yeah, and obviously when it starts to get into um, your back, and if it's like consistent like that, um, like, I can totally understand that it makes you feel pretty uncomfortable. It's just one thing I'd. Um, if there's any sort of other symptoms going around, like around, like any tingling, numbness, any of that sort of stuff, if you're getting pain down your legs, anything down your arms, uh, like 
anything where it starts to feel like there's a connection between the clicking and any other symptom, or if it clicks a lot and it starts to develop pain gradually over time, then certainly I think that's, um, and I generally, yeah, I think it's worth kind of just having anything with your spine generally kind of looked over. But um, yeah, if it's just like a little clicking that doesn't cause any pain, isn't connected to any other symptoms, um, yeah, it doesn't start to build over time, then I'm, I'm wouldn't be too concerned about it. But cool. Yeah. So Nick's addition to the question is he's saying also all my other muscles feel springy and elastic, but my middle splits feels like a piece of stiff rope. Stiff rope. Rad, what was the progression with your middle splits flexibility? I almost feel like as I'm getting more conditioned, they're getting tighter. So you get that springy feeling in your middle splits. When I get to the end range of my middle splits, it feels like a stiff, tight rope. And I got to a point where I wasn't getting better for six months and it really, really frustrated me. And the only way I got better was when I did less yeah. <laughs> and uh, allowed my body the time to recover, didn't force it and just allowed the adaptation to happen yeah. the worst thing that I found for my middle splits was trying to force it and there's nothing you can do to force the adaptation that's going to happen in your nervous system your nervous system will learn that it's okay and will relax the muscles and the tissue to allow you to go deeper only through more exposure to it and the exposure has to be done in a way where it only goes to the point of discomfort not to the point of pain and the best results that I'm getting now is by doing middle splits only once a week and then doing daily mobility just like what we do at the end of the class I've got something really important to add for the middle splits, guys. Middle splits is something that most people, unless you are, you have been stretching from childhood and your body's completely adapted to, to really going deep in your stretches, what you got to understand is the middle splits is the only really intense um, uh, flexibility drill that has a high level of risk, a high degree of risk to not only the hips where you're getting the stretch, but the knees. It puts the knees in a very, very vulnerable position. Now, any vulnerability that the brain senses, it's going to make you really restrict that movement. It's going to prevent the movement because it knows that there's a high risk of injury when if you if it allows you to achieve that position. So the middle splits is one of those movements that you have to be patient with and it will help that you're strengthening your body at the same time, strengthening movements like the squats. You want to strengthen the knees, you know, because you're really, really putting when you're when you're in that position, you're really putting a lot of lateral force on and load on the knee. Yeah, exactly. As as um, talked about before, with you, with your ligaments adapting, you've got your MCL on the inside of your knee there. Like as you start to like, expose it to load like that, it will have that signal to be like, oh, okay, here's a, you know, direction mm. that we need to strengthen in. Um, whereas if you just go from, you know, zero to hero with it and really <laughs> push it, then you, you haven't given that ligament time to adapt. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, remember when we talk about tissue adaptation time, that's more, you know, three months and onwards. So Yeah, you yeah. just have to allow it to take time. The, the people at our gym that learned how to do the middle splits from before they were here, it's taken them years to do. It's not something that um, you can do it in probably 12 months. Um, and in six months, you can see a massive change if you do it the right way. But what most people get wrong, Nick, is most people go too hard. They, they do too much rather than not enough. Yeah. And I, like every, there's, we've been told for so long that if you want to get flexible, you've got to stretch every day. Well, that's true. But it's not that you do the middle splits every day and yeah. you try to get better at the middle splits every yeah, day. It's a, it's a big misconception. The middle splits is the one movement that I've been the most astonished by as to how much our tribe have leveled up. When I walk in in the morning and, and Rad's leading a, 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 a class for, for either the 6am or 7am crew, 
there's usually like 12 or 15 people who are doing mega impressive middle splits. But what you guys got to understand, and I don't know where you fall into this picture, um, Nick, the, the, our guys are doing as much strength work as they're doing flexibility work. They're doing the full UMS program, you know, where they're, they've gone through and built a really strong foundation. You know, they've done all those split squats. They've done all that really um, uh, good end range strength and, and loaded um, stretching. Uh, they've moved through all of those steps. And so by the time they really start to double down on that mobility masterclass and they're doing those middle splits workouts, they're really well prepared for it and conditioned to it. And I'm talking about people like Niall, um, uh, Lockie, Matt Stevens, um, Lee, you know, like there's a lot of, and and I'm talking all guys because we've got a lot of girls who are really flexible, but I'm always, yeah, always um, impressed by the dudes because they all come in as like ex-crossfitters and stuff like that who are real stiff and strong, you know, and and then in a year or so's time, they're doing these incredible middle splits. So really what I want to just say that the key insight from that that um, uh, is that it's it's not just the stretching that's going to get you there with those really um, complex um, stretching positions. You've got to be strengthening as well, yeah. and that's where our UMS um, philosophy of a one-to-one balance between strength and flexibility really comes into play. Uh, I, I don't see people achieving that movement who are just focusing on stretching. Yeah, and with um, you know that kind of explanation that he had about. Uh, you know, the rest of the muscles feel pretty like springy, whereas that feels like it, it's not springy. And when we've talked about what it, with when your muscles are overloaded, it's that spasm and that, you know, it just wants to hold on to protect itself. So a muscle that's in spasm and, and is trying to protect itself is not going to be a, a springy muscle. Yeah. So yeah, taking the, the volume back to that, you know, once a week and, and really building up the structures around it, giving you um, uh, the tendons where it attaches into the bone um, and the ligaments that are connecting the bones time to just adapt and um, the muscle time to adapt and get used to lengthening under tension uh, that's what's going to give it that springy confident feeling so yeah awesome just saw that we got Biwa Kwan one of our um, yeah, awesome moderators on the live stream hi Biwa it's great to see you here um, you want to get another question awesome going awesome have we got time for uh, one yeah that's, that's right you wait you that. wait beer until you see the setup next week yeah. when we get it all put together again it's going to be so awesome next time you come into the gym we'll have to give you a tour in the studio here uh who have we got let's find one more we got time for one more quick question before we break out and get our workouts done uh i've got what about Steve's with the intermittent fasting? Yeah, that one. And I, I would also like to cover, someone asked, I saw before, when's the best time to take the collagen protein? And, you know, I, it's it's really, there's, there's evidence and research to indicate that right before a workout um, is good, but it makes it can make you feel really sick right before a workout. So most of the research that I've seen is just saying within a half hour window immediately after workout is usually optimal to get a protein supplement in because dietary protein is sort of like the on switch for muscle protein synthesis which is one of the pathways that we want switched on to rebuild and repair the tissues uh there's another you know um dr gary slater is someone who i follow in this space he's really really good probably um dr gary slater or dr lane norton are the two that i'm really into uh following for muscle protein synthesis because they both did their phds on this topic specifically and um you know gary once said that it's it's he hadn't proved it but he was doing a lot of research at the queensland or um, gold coast university here in australia on this 
as to whether taking branch chain amino acids and protein supplements during a workout would actually interfere with the process that you want because essentially when you're training for muscular hypertrophy um, which is the the the, the um, size of the muscle you want to be causing as much metabolic damage to the tissue as possible and if you're taking a supplement in that's actually triggering the repair process to switch on during the period where you're trying to um, damage the tissue he had a theory that it may actually impair the process you know it's kind of sending mixed signals to the body um, and he said, look, it's a watch this space area of research. I'd have to dig into the research to figure out whether that's true. But it was enough to convince me that, you know, there's good evidence to prove that straight after the workout is the best time to take your protein supplement. Yeah, that's a classic sort of anabolic window. You know, that's right. Get it in then. One of the things that he did suggest, though, is that, you know, that, that anabolic window reopens every sort of two to three hours. And depending on the level of intensity of your training, you you keep getting the opportunity to re-switch on muscle protein synthesis for up to 72 hours for a really intense workout. And so, you know, taking dietary protein in just after your training is not the only time you need to do it. If you're training to the intensity that we train at five days a week, really every two to three hours you have a new opportunity to, to switch on that mechanism and yeah. maximize your muscle protein synthesis. For the spe specificity of this question in, in, in regards to um, the uh, intermittent fast. So I'll give my opinion first. Real, um, I'll, I'll read it out. Real question. After big effort today in peak week, uh, I'm feeling very hungry, but I'm in intermittent fast till midday. Is it better to wait or would it be better to have some protein? This is very much down to what your goals are, That's Steve. What I was say. Intermittent fasting is not the be all and end all. It doesn't solve the world's hunger problems. It doesn't do the, you know, if your primary goal is to build muscle tissue, then I would certainly say have a protein shake. If your primary goal is overall health, then I would say abstain from food and get your fast completed. It really comes down to what your primary goal is and um and for us for rad and i you know longevity and overall health is very well, very important well i can give a specific answer for myself um because we yanni and i what yanni was saying there is uh, we do fast um every day seven days a week but recently in this lockdown phase i've i used i really had a look at how can i achieve something that i've never achieved before and i've Upper body weakness has been the downfall of me for learning calisthenics. I just haven't had the strength in my upper body that I've needed. So I've been training in a way where my number one goal was to build as much, as much strength and as much mass in my upper body as possible. So I've actually been not fasting on the days that I do my upper body training and the day straight after it. And I have a protein shake straight after that first workout in the morning. Whereas every other day I fast, even though I do that workout straight away, there's another four hours before I have my first meal. So that's an example of how you can use a shake or a fast depending on what your goals are. Yeah, and I think it's a um, an interesting one with like the kind of longevity piece of intermittent fasting and, and looking at just with uh, as you age and the difference, the changes in your muscle mass, like changes in muscle mass has a massive impact on uh, longevity and, and, you know, with Steve, like, you know, it, 
at, like in your 60s, it might be kind of that calculus is maybe a bit more important to hold on to your muscle mass to keep you um, strong and fit and metabolically well and um, you know protected from the the things that I just saw so much when I was doing physio in emergency departments, but or <laughs> you just see you know people getting that, that sort of frailty piece. So I think that it's it's just it's a, a when you think point. about your goals and your um, the calculus sort of changes as, as you age as well. So. Um, Look, my people people often ask ask when they come to the gym, even if they if their primary goal is sort of weight loss. Although we're not definitely not a weight loss gym, uh, and we tend to steer people away if that's their primary goal because there are better solutions out there. Um, but we get a lot of people who are sort of like, why do you guys prioritise so much strength training? Why is it always such a priority to to, to meet your dietary protein needs and things like that? Everybody everybody should be prioritizing maintaining muscle tissue because there is no um, hiding the fact that once you hit a certain age, it is very hard to maintain uh, or even gain muscle tissue. And yeah. it gets harder and harder and harder. Even with the best workout, with the right stimulus, it just gets very, very difficult. And, and so, and probably more importantly, that if you're not working to maintain it, you are losing it. You're yes, losing it. Yeah, that's exactly that, right. That is you know? guaranteed. It's happening. Uh, and that's what causes osteoporosis and osteoarthritis and frailty, frailty. And, and, yeah. and early death you yeah. know yeah uh, uh, this is something that phil's been had a um, uh, very um good insight into as he has yeah. been had done placements been in hospitals and things opening. like that yeah Same people who know. just couldn't stand up out of a chair not because they had anything wrong with them just because um i just remember one enough muscle. Old, old lady in particular who just you know she just didn't do anything and didn't stand up and so yeah. No conditions wrong with her, just her legs were this thin and she just couldn't stand up. And obviously yeah. that's like the, the real extreme thing. But when you look at emergency departments and um, when I was working in subacute uh, geriatric rehab hospitals, it was just 80% of the people there were there just because they fell over because yeah. they didn't have the strength and they didn't have that resiliency. They didn't have the um, stimulus for their bones, the impact, like yeah. all those things that we're talking about today about how to build up your system. If you take that out, then you know, yeah. your system Big won't problems. be able to handle Big problems. things. So. Great show today, guys. Great yeah. questions. Great, yeah. uh, like really, you know, you, there, you, yeah, absolutely. Remember, guys, if you if you do have questions for these shows, get them in nice and early. Um, you you don't you don't have to ask them here. You can send them through via email to either Phil or myself, yeah. uh, and we will um, answer them live every Friday. We do Physio Friday, and Phil is also going live every uh, every Monday, Tuesday, every Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three p.m. Three p.m. Yeah. Um, and so you can get your yeah, yeah. questions directly to Phil. You can ask them on this group, um, or guys, of course, if you're in the UMS um, online coaching and group, we'll always answer those and, questions and just first. My kind of disclaimer again. I, I'm really looking to try and build like general principles it's not like a one-on-one -on -one consultation it's um you know not specific medical advice it's just trying to give you those sort of things to think about when you're um yeah like think about your injuries and whether or not you should see someone and all those sort of things so. yeah absolutely all right it's friday here in australia um big shout out to everyone listening on the sound of movement podcast we're we're very grateful for everyone who's listening there it's something that we're really going all in on to grow and um shout out to everyone watching the replay of this on the youtube channel biggest shout out though goes to all of those who joined us live and asked us questions and interacted to make the show so brilliant yeah. uh thank you phil Mate, for joining us talk to humans thank you rad <laughs> Uh, for just being rad yeah, and uh, thank you Richie for producing um, such a lovely show with uh, no issues technically <laughs> see you all next week guys before the live stream. <laughs> <laughs> health is about performance not just body image you better be willing to accept what you're gonna have to do to get there
goals. Start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, that's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. It's the gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.